Welcome to the Real Driving Man Podcast. This is going to be a segment of Bipolar Talk, where I talk about mental illness and stuff relating to having one, or what's it like to have one, um, just stuff related to mental illness. Uh, And today I actually just have a bunch of notes I took when I was at work with ideas I want to talk about, and I think I'm just going to kind of bounce around and expand upon each one. Um, And... I think the first one I will start with was, I can't remember where I got this idea from. I listen to, I just have a basic data entry job, so I have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. And, oh, I think it was a podcast, it was a podcast that was just recently done with Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. And they talked uh, briefly about uh, the importance of deprivation. And, I mean, those people, those two. Whatever you think about them, they're definitely way smarter than me. Um, So I'm not going to try to expand upon what they talked about. But I do think it's interesting. I'm 25 right now. And in my early 20s, like in in, college years, I remember every weekend I was just looking to see what drug I hadn't tried. Um, Mainly because I was just curious to what they did given that everyone else says drugs are awful and you shouldn't do them. And often people who say that don't give you a reason why. Um, and so I wanted to try them and I was, I was pretty safe. I mean, I made some mistakes, but, um, you know, I had my fun. Um, I was in college and as I've approached my mid twenties, I've noticed, and this is kind of, it's just not kind of, this is pretty normal. My, I still like to go out and have fun and smoke weed but my desire to try a bunch of drugs is gone, mainly because I tried most of the ones I wanted to try. And that same hedonistic impulse, I don't think, obviously hedonism can take you to not so great places, but I think it's part of being young is kind of experimenting with stuff like that. Uh, you know, what do these substances do, especially if you can do it in a safe manner? Um and we don't really talk about that because it makes it uncomfortable. We either have people who do all the drugs and totally destroy their lives or people who've never done these drugs and say they're horrible and can't really explain why. And it's important to have a middle ground. But the reason I bring that up is I remember, especially during COVID, I was smoking a lot of weed to help me cope because it was just so fucking hard. And it wasn't the healthiest way to deal with things, but it was pretty much the only way I had. Because um, as I've talked about before, I was doing everything else and I still – wanted to kill myself every day. (laughs) So I needed an escape. Uh, And at that time, I was smoking, I would smoke like three and a half grams in a single blunt, which for those of you who don't know, probably a joint that you'd see on TV is like a gram. And I was smoking like over three of those in a blunt wrap, which is just tobacco, a tobacco wrap. And I'd smoke it in one sitting. And that... (laughs) long-term wouldn't recommend it. And especially after the pandemic started to end and lockdowns opened up, I I did begin to realize that I I was not good, that I was smoking this much weed and I should try to cut back. And over the last, what is that going on three years now? I've severely cut it back to where I try to be sober three or four days a week. Um, and uh, when I do smoke, I usually smoke a strain that has a lot less THC in it, 
Um, it's kind of like a strain, at least in Colorado where it's legal, where I live. Um, you can get strains that are actually used for medical purposes mostly, um, but they have lower THC strands because if you do have a mental illness, the THC in weed, if you smoke a lot of weed, that can aggravate mania, and that you know that's not a good thing. Increasing dopamine just increases your chances of, of mania. Um, but you, if you're a person like myself who really enjoys the relaxing effects and just enjoys weed in general, um, some lower THC strains, if you're able to get them, can be really nice because you don't get quite as like buzzed and manic when you smoke them. And I did that, and I continue to try to cut back, and I still have, you know, I'll buy normal, you know, weed with what, you know, 15 to 20% THC, and I'll, I'll smoke it now and then. But I really did try to not smoke all the time, try to not be the first thing I do in the morning, and really moderate how much I'm smoking it. One, because it makes the times I do enjoy it much more enjoyable. And because, you know, it's probably just smoking itself is not healthy for you, and marijuana has its own side effects. And this is the deprivation, where I was basically deprived. And some days, like on, I came home on Thursday, and I wanted to smoke weed more than anything. But I said, no, wait, wait till tomorrow. And I think that's important. I do think it's important not just with drugs but with um, everything. And in the conversation I mentioned with Jordan Peterson, they mentioned how – and I know – I'm not sure on the cult, the custom, but I know in Jewish families there's like a period of time when you can't sleep with your wife and then um, – I don't know. I think it's related to her, her period or something. I'm not sure. Watch Ari Shafir's special. I know he talks about it in that. Um, but they talk briefly about deprivation, how that is important. Um, depriving yourself to some degree, it makes things enjoy you. You enjoy things more, um, but how do you balance that with indulgence? Indulgence is often seen as a bad thing. This is bad because in its excess is bad. But we're never taught as a society and as especially young adults growing up, like how much alcohol is too much. How much? How should I try drugs? How should I approach this? What is my way? And I was—I had a very good mother who would I could talk to and a family I could go to and talk about my drug usage. At least parts of my family. I couldn't go to my dad. Um, and I think these conversations are important because they tend to devolve into binary thinking, which is what I, what I mean. I guess – I don't know if binary thinking is the best term, but – it's thinking where you just go to the extremes. It happens in politics. happens with almost everything humans. Humans struggle to have balance of, okay, if I'm going to indulge in this vice, how much? How frequently? And how frequently should I not do it? We don't ask ourselves these questions. We tend to either be like, I'm not going to do it at all, ever, or I'm going to do it all the time, which both of those aren't necessarily healthy. And being sober, you know, I've met plenty of people who it works for. I'm, you know, nothing against it, but it's not going to work for everybody. And I do get annoyed when sober people, especially people who maybe have never tried drugs in their life, have huge judgments for people who do. Um, I mean, that's kind of started to go away with marijuana, especially as it's been legalized in more places. Uh, but if you've never done any drugs, like that's not a thing. Good, you, know, you don't have to try them, but don't judge people who who has have done them. Um, also, cause you don't know, it's, it's also why I wanted to try drugs 
you have to explain what they do, why you shouldn't do them. Like if someone came to me with when I was in high school and like, this is why you shouldn't do cocaine. It's going to be so much fun. That's all you're going to want to do all day. And that's I, I get that's a message hard to, to tell to a young adult because your brain's not fully developed and that's you would end up doing that. And you have to find that balance. So some people think it's easier to say don't do it at all. Um, I think I'm more like, a, I don't know, I like Burt Kreischer. He has a bit in, uh, where he's telling his daughter who's going off to college, like, whatever your mom said is fine. But when it comes to drugs, take half. Wait half an hour, see how you feel. If you like it, take the other half. That, that's actually a pretty good rule. Um, I think when it does come to indulging in substances, and I'm not actually the most experienced with this. I've, I've done probably cocaine several times, nothing crazy. Um, and every time, it was a good thing. Oh, there's this drug. I'm going to just try a small amount, uh, see how I feel. If I don't like it, then I don't have to take the rest. I can just wait for it to wear off. But if I do, I can see where it goes from there. Um, and, you know, with certain drugs that are super addicting, like cocaine and heroin and all those, those are really hard ones because it is fun. I remember I got uh, – I don't remember what they were, if they were Percocets. They were just – there were some strong opioid after I got out of the hospital for pancreatitis. And I had a couple left, and I just popped both of them, and I went and watched a Ghibli movie, and it was fucking amazing. <laughs> it's – yeah, shit's fun. That's fun. And luckily, once I did those, I was kind of like, I've done that. And then I got into my own trouble, which I've talked about before on check out the, I think it's the, technically the first episode for my new numbering system uh, on the podcast where I talk about psychedelics. Um, and my whole point with this is we need to have better conversations on this stuff so people know. Um, and how you can figure out how to implement those. I think... And, and a lot of, especially for when it comes to controlling your impulses and, you know, maybe taking a couple days off, that takes a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline. And I think you can only build that through trying. And I've talked about before, but if you are a person who says, you know, they have a vice, they like drinking, smoking weed, whatever it is, and you're doing it too much, and you want to do less, ask how much you're doing it and if you could take a tiny step to doing it less. So say if you're smoking weed or drinking every day, could there be one day a week where you don't drink or... If that's too much, could there be one day a week where you drink half as much or smoke half as much weed as you normally would? And then can you keep that up? And then can you, after you've done that for a couple weeks, can you say, well, there's going to be one day I'm not going to do anything, and then two, and, and continue this throughout time. And it may take a long time, but the point is if you build up through steps, number one, you're going to build the habit slowly, and so you're more likely to stick with it. And then you can also f figure out a lot of things in the meantime of, how much do I need this? Do I want to do this less? Because um, I do think that a lot of drugs can enhance life. Like Alcohol can make a lot of things fun. Uh, I definitely still enjoy weed, and I still enjoy alcohol on occasion too. I don't never drink. I, uh, it's not nearly as, you know, it's maybe uh, three or four drinks a month. You know, nothing crazy, maybe once a week um, or less. And it's fun. It's, it's very enjoyable. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it's when it's your whole life, and I've been in places where all I thought about was smoking weed or partying and stuff, and that's fine when you're in your early 20s, but as you start to get later in life, I think it's important to understand the importance of deprivations, uh, of holding stuff off. Uh, and I remember my thinking when I was young and 20, 
because I was I get catastrophic. I'm like, well, what if the world ends this week and then I didn't smoke weed tonight and then I didn't get to smoke weed before I died? That's actually a solid argument. I can't really argue with that other than the fact that the likelihood the world ends this week is probably small. But it's, it's there. Yeah, you can have this totalitary thinking of, oh, it's all going to end if I don't just do this and if I, I'm going to miss it. And, and I battled with that and I've lost with that argument and smoked way too much. So I'm not judging people in those situations. But a little self-discipline ain't hurt anybody. Um, it also, I think, allows your body to, I think drugs in general aren't necessarily a good thing for your body. Um, and you know, if you're someone who does enjoy them, like I do, I don't want to, I want to see what is the, what is the, I I don't know, what would the X and Y axis be, would be, um, we have the X axis be an enjoyment and the Y be amount. And it's kind of, I would say probably a U shaped curve where there's, there's a sweet spot where as enjoyment and amount increase and then it just does a sharp drop off where just increasing the amount just drops the amount of enjoyment and you want to find out where that is shit my um the light was making me look very white (laughs) um And I think then we can have – I think this is what is called having healthy relationships with substances. And this couldn't just be substances. If you're a person who's uh, – let's go to one. Um, <laughs> another one that's, that's pretty easy and pretty common is uh, sex. Uh, people like sex, I think, you know, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and in, like I said, the conversation I mentioned, they talk about, you know, having some distance between you and your spouse to make it maybe the wedding night or, or in Jewish culture, I don't know how the – frequency of the fucking schedule works but um make it enjoyable and this is weird coming from a person who i i've said before i haven't had sex in four years so like that's that's um its own kind of deprivation and let me tell you it's not great i've gone on date just first dates recently and even in these dates where they're just interviewing people uh or it's basically kind of interview with this person you know you're trying to figure out oh does this person work and i've gone on like last three weeks i've gone like with Four, four different women, and none of them were particularly, like, worked out. I was like, okay, fine, that's fine. Um, but afterwards, my, after all those dates, my balls would hurt. Like, there's, like, a swelling inside from, I think it's probably just from being around women. My dick is like, it's time to fuck, and the brain's like, well, this is not happening. And there's a confusion between my dick and my brain, and... That's another type of deprivation that's not necessarily good because you can – I don't want my balls to hurt after all that stuff. It's a little, little too much information, but there's balance, and I think a lot of times people's indulgence and deprivations, people don't like to – they get binary. I'm going to do none of these like with the Mormons where they don't do jack shit, um, or I'm going to do everything uh, and you know, smoke weed every – and there's, there's, there's a tough balance, and you have to develop – that's why I like the step process for developing discipline. It allows you to develop, to, to, to work on, you know, controlling yourself and self-discipline in, in a way where you can succeed and in a way where over time you can build these skills. Um, I do think, especially if we're talking in terms of mental illness, that's important because one thing I realized having bipolar is that me, especially smoking large amounts of weed, doing large amounts of drugs – my brain doesn't do well with that. It, it puts me in states of mania, and it can put me in maybe permanent states of mania depending on the 
drug I'm doing, and you have to acknowledge that. And that can be hard because oftentimes people with severe mental illnesses are very addicted to these substances. And I was like that with weed. I didn't want to admit that it could potentially be damaging, which it can be for people with bipolar. I'm well aware. I've, I've listened to the Huberman Lab episodes. And you have to find a balance with this type of thing. I think I had to stop drinking right away because I had a bad pancreas and this kind of worked out. But this, I think, happens to everyone, especially as you start to get a little older and you can't do that stuff as much. And I encourage people for your own mental health to try to, you know, in a sense, deprive yourself of some things to a degree so that you can enjoy them more. Um, I think indulging in things is really damp can be very damaging very quickly, especially if you have a mental illness and especially if you get addicted on them. I've never really been truly addicted to a really dangerous substance. I've probably been addicted to weed for a bit, addicted to video games. Those are their own kind of things. Um, and getting out of addictions is really tough. It's really tough. And especially when the world is so crazy, it's easy to rely on our addictions to you know, supplement what we're supposed to do. Especially if you have a mental illness, it's, it's easy to say, well, I need this, I need this, I need this. And especially if you're a person in one of those states, I wouldn't advise going cold turkey because what's probably going to happen is you're going to go cold turkey for a week. You're going to miss it so much that on the second week, you're going to smoke it or you know partake in whatever vice you want to again. And you're going to do it with a greater degree before, and then you're going on a spiraling cycle that goes up and down, up and down, up and down. It's why when I say build your steps, especially if you're, you know, it, it depends. Like <laughs> if you're working with a doctor, like I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't know these things. These are just from my own experience, my own things I'm talking about, and I want um, that to be known, because uh, there's obviously cases where someone may be addicted to heroin or a very severe substance where they do need to go cold turkey. Um, and, you know, I guess that's not entirely what this is supposed to be about. I'm mentioning it. I'm not looking for people who are very, very addicted. I'm talking in general for a population um, to balance um, deprivations and indulgence. And that's a hard thing to do. I'm still figuring it out. I'm not perfect at it either. But I think it's important to think about these things because I think it can allow us to really have a more stable, just if you have a mental illness, a more stable life of, okay, I'm not going to smoke. For, this is my process. Okay, I'm not going to smoke for these three or four days. And then when I do get to the weekend, I'm going to enjoy it. And, or even on the weekends, like some, like today, I did a frick ton of chores this morning. I got it so much done. Now I'm recording this podcast. I'm probably going to go to an open mic afterwards. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to smoke some weed. I feel like I earned it, and I did. I did a lot of things. Have games with yourself. You can make this type of stuff fun. And I think people overall, their health, physical and mental, will feel better if you can balance these these deprivations and indulgence. So I, I don't want to go in circles as I can do because I can talk a lot. Um, so I'm going to put this one aside for now. We may come back to it, but uh, that's deprivations and indulgence, kind of an idea. Um Oh, this is this is one I'm not entirely looking forward to talking about because I'm not sure I don't have a ton of answers, but we'll move on to it. Um, so I asked myself because I was a person who I've had very good access to good mental health care and, and awesome resources, awesome doctors, you know, all of the above. And what do you do if you're someone who doesn't have those resources if they're trying to, you know, better themselves? Oh, that's a rough one because <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't do a ton of research before I start talking with this podcast. Uh, maybe that's something that should change. Um, obviously, um, I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know 
I've still on my parents' health care, luckily. Um, but I think I'm trying to make this somewhat of a resource if you have mental health, so I'll try to answer this question. If you don't have the resources um, to, you know, afford therapy or something like that, um, how do you build support for mental health? I think you need to, one, have a goal to improve your mental health. Still got a stuffy nose. If that is a something people noticed. Yeah, sorry. Those sounds are probably not very pleasant. If you don't have the resources, I think it's, the reason I say it's important to build a goal to like get better is one, you need to define what your goal is. If you're like, I just want to feel better. This is, this is a tough one. I actually, this is kind of fun. It makes me think you need to find your goal. Let's just say your goal is to have better mental health. If you're struggling with your mental health, you have mental illness or you're just a normal person. Okay. I think number one, I think mental and physical health, they're intertwined, and I may ha- I have just it's a hypothesis, and I haven't tested this at all. So I have a feeling they may actually just be the same thing, mental and physical health. If they're and if not, they're very intertwined. So if you are a person who does not have any money, and you want to or any resources, let's just say to get actual tools to support mental health, one thing you can do um, is you can get in physical shape. Um, that's going to help. You're one of the best, especially for depression, which I think is a common thing people will feel regardless if they have a mental illness or not. And the, one of the, I think the most effective thing for depression by far of any drug that exists on the market is endorphins. And that's produced by working out. And if you're a person, I think anyone can do burpees. Um, most people have a phone. So you can look up free body workouts and try to implement in a workout schedule every day. Um, and I mean every day. It, it, like in, if you have a day that needs a rest, like today I I went skiing and then I went and I shoveled this very – my parents' driveway last night. It was very heavy. So I was sore today. So I just did a quick um, – like I, I stretched. You know, it's not a huge – oh, I guess it's a workout per se, but it's something that's light. Do that every day as often as you can do it. That's one thing I think you can build. It also helps you build routines. Routines do help dealing with a mental illness, no matter who it is. So, and working out, building those endorphins are a chemical that can help you, you know, can help you and it's free. You just have to go work out, run, do something. So that's a step that no matter who you are, I think you can start to take. Next, I would think if you're going to build supporting mental health, you need a network. Make friends, make real friends. If you don't have a family or something, or if your family, you know, you don't have a relationship with your family, build a support network. And that takes hard. You have to build social skills. But you're going to need people to, to lean on that you can count on, and you got to start somewhere. And having that support re- network and relationships is very important. And it can allow you to have, with those support networks, when you start to build friends, you know, you may be able to talk to them about these type of things, and they may even have some resources. I don't want to send people anywhere. I know there's a lot of resources like BetterHelp and for finding a therapist. I don't know. So I'm going to admit, I don't know if you're a person who doesn't want to find a therapist what the best route is to go. I think um, 
you have to be open because I was really – I remember when I was four, I was put in therapy with this uh, lady. And she was a good therapist, but we just – even as a four-year-old, I wasn't a huge fan of her. I wasn't. Um, and so eventually I went and I transferred to a different doctor who I've been with for the last 21, 22 years. And he's great. But when you go looking for a therapist, make sh some people are not going to resonate with you, and that's okay. Uh, you want to find someone who you feel like you can work with and grow, and sometimes you have to f you find that out. This person doesn't work for me. So be open to that. Therapists are people. They're not perfect, and there's different levels of them as well. And, you know, I will say BetterHelp is just one resource I do know. Um, you can probably Google stuff. Maybe I should have more of a um, – I should probably research this more. Maybe this is a topic I'll come back to in, uh, in another episode because uh, I would like to help people try to get help. But like I've said, there's three things you need to survive a mental illness is you need a buddy. Um, that could – like for me, it's kind of like my parents right now. Uh, could be a significant other, someone who's there to who would support you. You need a good doctor, therapist, person taking care of you. You have to build these things, I understand. And you need to be tough. And that's why I say start the toughness. You can start right now. You can build a routine, and you can build a good, healthy sleep schedule. Get your physical and mental health in order. Doctor uh, Andrew Huberman on his Instagram recently put out the big like nine pillars of mental physical health. Um, and I think I'm just going to – I'm actually just going to pull it up and read it off because they were good. And it kind of ties in how I believe that mental, mental and physical health are intertwined um, and that – here we go. Uh, so the nine pillars of mental and physical health in no particular order are sleep, so getting good regular sleep, sunlight in the eyes – um, Huberman's talked a ton about that, so if you want to know more about that, I'm going to point to him because I don't want to try to explain things in a less qualified manner. Exercise, three. Uh, stress regulation, uh, five. Relationships, six. Nutrients, seven. Oral health and gut microbiome, eight. Spiritual grounding, nine. Purpose and mission. I think a lot of these overlap. Like I do think that spiritual grounding, purpose and mission, stress regulation are kind of intertwined. That's why I say build a goal. If your goal is to have mental health, have other goals, have vocational goals, those things. Building a healthy life and uh, mental health is, is an all-encompassing thing, and it takes a long time, and it's a lot of hard work. So you've got to start somewhere. And I said this last time on my episode I did on depression, working out, work out. If you start anything, start working out for just 30 30 minutes to an hour every day. What, or even if you can't do that, five, do something. Something physical every day. It is going to start to walk. If you cannot run because you're overweight, walk. Go out for a 15-minute walk every day. Do something. That is going to be start building. Everything else, it's going to seem like a lot. It's going to seem like it's coming out from all, and there is a lot of stuff. It's why you need to start having small successes because you can build off small successes, and you can. that's what happened to me. I realized if I can take care of myself here, I can take care of myself there. I can do this. I can do that. I build on. I get more resilient. I get stronger. I can go and stronger mentally and physically. I can tackle these new challenges. Start with small steps, and 
this is going to take discipline. And there's no way around that. Dealing with a mental illness is going to take discipline. There's pr- and this is this is my way. There's other ways to do it. I'm just trying to give advice that is helpful. I hope someone can hear it and find it useful. And you know, I don't know. Everyone has different personal situations, but there's. I feel like you have to honestly want the goal of trying to have better physical and mental health. Then you have to start taking small steps. So, you know, start with, okay, I'm going to try to, meditation's another good thing that can kind of help. Um, just doing nothing, putting on, sometimes some people just do it silently in a dark room. That's fine. Sometimes I put on some more ambient music. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll just put on like, I just Googled, or on Spotify found like a playlist that was Tai Chi music. Not very, you know. It's kind of like Zen Garden music. I don't know what the actual name for this type of music is, but it's relaxing music. And sit there for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, breathe. Um, I think that no matter where anyone is at in their point in life, they can take some step in some way towards having better physical and mental health. Um I will definitely come back to this issue, hopefully with more information, but I hope the information I've provided thus far has been at least somewhat helpful, Um, knowing that most, while therapy and medications are important things that do cost money and can very much help, um, the bigger things are the things that you do every day, your routine to take care of yourself, working out, meditating, having relationships, having a purpose, having a job. Those things are all important. And so a lot of the things to take care of your mental health are things you've probably heard from other people, and they're true. Um, And I think it's going to involve a lot of hard work, but I believe people are are so capable to rise to the challenge, and I wish people the best luck with that. Uh, I guess transitioning to my final sticky note. That's how I come up with notes during the day. Um, This is one where I'm going to try not to get too... Aggressive or intense. I said, uh, uh, this is language and framing your mental illness. One thing I've heard recently is, oh, I'm not mentally ill or I'm not, I don't have an illness. I'm neurodivergent. And I've talked about this before. <sighs> I'm kind of with George Carlin on this one. There's an old George Carlin bit about changing language over time. Like, I think he talked about PTSD and how it became PTSD. I always said, I mean, if it helps you to call it neurodivergent, if you have a mental illness, cool. But if if that really does help you look at it differently, because I, like I said, I was diagnosed when I was young. I always kind of knew I had something wrong with me. I didn't have this big revelation when I was an adult to deal with. If you ever hear this weird uh, sniffling noise, it's me trying to breathe through my nose. I don't, I think I just, I know the reframing of language has seemed excessive in all areas of our world today. But with this, I always thought, I have had, I some of my closest friends have autism. And it is a, it is an issue. Like it's a disease. There's a reason disease is something like wrong or mental disorder. It's not a mental disorder. It's neurodivergence. Like, well... You have a behavior in you that's not optimal, allowing you to function, and 
I don't care what you call it as long as you're taking steps to rectify it and integrate. And anyone with autism who's dealt with it realizes that they have to take steps to figure out how to interact with people better. There's problems there. And I can see if someone maybe didn't know they had a neurodivergent behavior and then they found that that name was easier than disorder because they don't want to feel different than people. I guess that's fine to call it that. It's why I'm not explicitly saying I don't like the name, but the name in neurodivergent, I'm neuro, I'm, it's just so wordy. And <laughs> mental disorder from neurodivergent, I mean, it's just, I don't, does changing the name change the nature of the problem? No. I know framing it can help people. It's why I'm, I'm trying to be supportive of people. But this is one thing. You still have a problem. And sometimes when people have problems, they identify with their problems, which is not a good thing to do. When I realized I was on a manic episode and getting very crazy, I wasn't like, well, let me identify with being manic. It's like, well, no, let me go to the hospital and be and recover from it. If you, if you just rename the mental illness and you do nothing else, then you're not addressing the problems that you have. And yeah, everyone has different sorts of problems because they, have, they were born with different abilities. Yeah, some people really got fucked. It doesn't, like, I still think that doesn't absolve you from the responsibility to find out a way to deal with it and integrate into society. A lot of times people with their mental illness, I think, wants recognition for having the mental illness, which is just like you were just unlucky. You don't get a prize for it. And I am I want to be open to what people have to say. I know this is something that a lot of people like to I've noticed a lot of women in particular have adopted, and if that helps them improve, great. I'm happy. But stop trying to make mental illnesses look good. They don't. They're hard problems to solve, and you have to figure out ways to function as in, in a group. This is this is, I don't know, it feels very coddle-like, like we're mommying people. Oh, I'm not this, it's like, well, you have a problem, who cares what you call it? And if it, and it, I guess it leads into, some people are very easily offended, and uh, I don't, I, I, I respect, obvi- I, I respect people, let's say, but I also respect people enough to, Especially disabled people. Some disabled people have the best senses of humor ever. They're so fucked up. They're hysterical. Look at Aaron Belisle. And I feel like in a lot of cases, a lot of this language stuff, this language policing, is coming from a place where people are trying to treat disabled people and people who have different, you know, disabled disabilities like children. And protect them from the mean things, from the mean comedians who have mean things to say. And I find that kind of patronizing to these people because they're, yeah, they have disabilities and they need help. But they're also full-grown adults who I feel like can speak for themselves, defend themselves, can take a joke, don't need to be protected from people all the time. They're just people like us. They're flawed. And... I don't, I'm not super, this language stuff to each their own. That's why I say if, you, if it helps you to frame your mental illness as neurodivergent, I'm happy that you're finding a way to deal with it. But if you're just naming it something else and then 
not doing anything, then you haven't really done anything, okay? It's hard work. This is not sexy stuff. Stop trying to make mental dealing with a mental illness look good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't make you any less human. Like, I don't judge anyone. I'm actually a very open-minded person. And I've had interactions with people, women, uh, who've not wanted to interact with me anymore because of, like, not condemning people who don't have disabilities, who make jokes about people with disabilities. One, I'm going to defend comedians' right to say what they want to say. And two, yeah, if in the moment you make a joke that's offensive, you have to deal with the consequences. But one, I would like to see what disabled people say about it rather than what you think they say about it. And a lot of times the people who've called me out on this, I'm like, what disabled people do you know? Do you know any disabled people? I'm technically disabled. I got fucking bipolar and ADHD. <laughs> and I think it comes from a place mainly of not experience. People have not – a lot of these people who call me out on what I'm saying have, don't really have very di diverse groups of people as friends. Maybe they don't – or diverse groups of thoughts as friends. And so that they feel like they have to protect all these people when I think those people are perfectly capable of defending themselves. And also jokes. They're jokes. They're jokes. If you go after someone for a joke and you say, ah, that's it. I want to acknowledge. If you find a joke offensive, good. Like, fine. It's like, I, I didn't like that joke. But then if you judge the person based on that one joke entirely, like they're just a piece of shit because they said this one thing you didn't like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like that punishment matches the crime. Like, if you don't like the joke, don't laugh or don't watch it. And if you don't like this comedian, don't watch him. It's fine. But don't judge people who like that comedian because of it. That's really weird. That's that's kind of like saying everyone needs to agree exactly with what you say. And I'm not about this. Like having a mental illness is a hard thing to do. It requires a lot of hard work and I think people can do it. And we don't need a policing of people. Like come on. Come on. Like, they're words, number one. I'm not going to a nursing home and knocking people out of wheelchairs like, fuck you, walk, bitch. <laughs> it's so interesting to me that people are so concerned about what people say now. Um, it's not necessarily, especially if you have a mental illness People are going to say things. Like, they're going to be mean sometimes. Trust me. I've been through it. I've been – I was bullied all throughout middle school and elementary school by teachers times. Like that's going to happen. doesn't make it okay, but it's why I say you need to be tough. And also sometimes I was being a baby and I didn't have ideal behavior that I needed to learn how to change and adapt to fit in with groups better. I will own that. And the language about your mental – like if you have a mental illness, I think another important thing is to have a sense of humor about it, especially if you have a severe one. And I just also don't find a lot of these people who claim to want to defend people's mental illness rights or whatever truthful because no one ever seems to want to defend bipolars or schizophrenics because you say crazy shit. Like Kanye. Kanye says a lot of crazy shit. Yeah, he looks like he's on a manic episode every other week or every other day. 
And yeah, you should have consequences for saying crazy shit, but also like we're people too, even if you say crazy shit, especially when you say it when you're not in the right state of mind. And so for me, when I hear people go, you know, trying to defend people who like disabled people, but then not other disabled people like people with bipolar schizophrenia, I'm like, you are choosing, you are selecting based on what makes you feel good because other people, these other people with disabilities don't make you feel good. It's not as sexy to defend them because it's harder. Like when you're on a mental – like you're not the same person when you're on a mental illness and we seem to want to shove these people away and be like, don't look at them. They're crazy and in some degree, yeah, you are some degree of crazy in those times. But it it is very frustrating that uh, for people to get so offended by – like I don't know. Like yeah, if you're offended – one, I don't like it because when people cry that they're offended so much all the time now that it feels like a boy who cried wolf. You cry it all the time. I don't know when you're actually offended. And if people are actually offended now, it's like grow a pair. Grow a pair. That's what my mom told me. I was sad and crying many times throughout my life. And she's like, grow a pair. It's not necessarily a nice thing. Sometimes the thing that needs to be said is not always nice. It's not always going to feel good. But it doesn't mean it needs to be said. Sometimes I needed to hear things I did not want to hear. And it doesn't make them any, you know, doesn't mean the fact, doesn't make, doesn't make them any, doesn't mean those things need to be said any less. And... The world is a lot more dangerous than what people say. And even if you are offended by something, I think it's important to kind of be able to like rub it off. And also, be a compa- if you claim you're so compassionate, be compassionate with the person or, or the, who said the thing. Did you ask yourself, did the person who say that, did they mean like they were trying to dig in on disabled people or whatever group? Or were they trying to make a joke and, and you just didn't like it? Those are two very different things. Because if you may go talk to the person... I actually don't have a ton of jokes in my act that are uh, geared towards other people, mainly because I talk about what happens mostly in my life. Um, but I have a couple, and if, if you wouldn't talk to me about like your feelings about this, I think you would f- may not agree with me on everything, but you wouldn't, oh, this guy's like also a person. Um, and so I think it's important to... To, to realize that if you're framing your mental illness, calling it neurodivergent, are you just avoiding solving the actual hard problems of your mental illness? Or are you using a technique to help you move forward and improve with your mental illness? Because those are two different things. And I've said it before. If you have a mental illness, you can be a victim, but you shouldn't be because you can be. If you are a victim now, you are always going to be a victim. There's never going to be a point in the time when you're not that victim, and you're going to keep playing that card because you can. And then you're never going to have the strength to stand on your own, develop tools to be able to deal with your mental illness. And when shit really hits the fan and you have to deal with things on your own, you're going to have no idea what to do. So go out there and face the world. Do the things we've been talking. Take the small steps. Do better. And if – and it's like I said – you know, framing the lang- the language of your mental illness in a different way, calling it neurodivergent, if that's on your path and you feel it's legitimately helping you, don't let my rant demean that. Like, awesome, if that's it, what it is. But if it's a thing to sh- 
to be able to Instagram and act like you're dealing with your mental illness without actually dealing with it, that's what, you know, whatever. A lot of people complain about having ADHD. I have ADHD, and it's the easy mental illness to deal with. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to bipolar, and it's hard. It makes it very hard to focus on things you don't want to do, and without medication, it can be very difficult. But I think a lot of people use it as an excuse. Like, I, I can't use I have ADHD. It's like, well, what you should say is, well, this is task is made really difficult by the fact that I have ADHD, but I can still find a way to do it. Because you can. You can. There's going to be a lot of things, ADHD people, we don't like to do things we don't want to do. But there's a lot of things in life that you don't want to do, but you got to do anyway. Might as well learn how to do them. It's one area where medications certainly do help, but also that mindset of changing the mindset from someone who, I have this illness, I can't do it, to, I got this illness, it's going to make this task harder, but I can find a way to do it. I think I want to sympathize with people who are not used to having these things and maybe they're diagnosed and they make things hard. I am not unsympathetic to difficulties. I'm very sympathetic. But to a point. At some point, I'm like, okay, get your shit together. Let's figure this out. Let's not whine and cry the whole time. And let's find a way to deal with it. And function. Because you do have to find, you know, you can't play this card forever. Or, technically, you can. But you'll stay there forever. If you play the victim, you will be a victim forever. And do you want to be a victim? I don't believe anyone wants to be a victim. People are victims. But I always, when I did feel like a victim, wanted to have the strength to move forward. So develop that strength. Don't wallow in your own self-pity. Think of it like... I got this issue, and if I can tackle this issue and figure out how to do these normal things that everyone has to do with this issue, how much stronger am I going to be? I'm going to be able to do more things, and I can go off from there. Make your mental illness your superpower. Don't be special because of your mental illness. Be special in spite of your mental illness. Because it's way more awesome to do that anyway. You really think it's super sexy and cute, man or woman, to sit around and cry about your problems all the time? Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes we need a good cry. I'm all for a good cry now and then. But then it gets like, okay, I've had my cry. I've dealt with my emotions. Let's find a way to move forward. And yeah, it's probably going to suck. But it's going to make you stronger. And not doing it is just going to make you make it worse because you're never going to develop that mindset to deal with this shit. And it is shit. And there's a lot of it. So let's find a way to deal with our shit.